0: Who are you? I mean, I really want to know. I mean, who are you? Sometimes that is a really tough question to answer. And I was talking to a friend of mine uh, a while back, and um, we were he was kind of going through uh, some stuff, a really challenging time in his life, and uh, it's had a lot of loss, a lot of changes, a lot of grief. And he started kind of sharing those struggles and his frustration with me. And he confessed at one point. He said, I really don't know who I am anymore. And I just, and normally when I hear that, I'll say something very similar. But I said, you're chosen by God. You're loved by God. You're, you're a child of God. You were created on purpose for a purpose and I reminded him, he's fearfully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. I mean, who are you? And the fact is, I know some of you are wondering that. You're you're trying to figure that out these days. I mean, who are you? And I remember as a kid, and I think I've shared this before, but I was um, one of those that is a kid in school. I would nickname people sometimes, and i'll be honest now i look back sometimes it was flattering and sometimes well it wasn't so kind you know i had a lot of nicknames through the years and uh when i was in grade school i lived in the florida keys and uh, they called me shark because i could swim so fast and then we moved up north and they called me buzz you know everybody had long hair at that time i'm buzz totally off and uh So I didn't like that name at all. Uh, Junior high, I was called Elvis because I was a big Elvis fan. I did impersonations. And uh, on the basketball court, I got the nickname Dynamite uh, because I'd kind of go on these streaks and just explode, you know. And uh, high school, college, they'd call me Diamond. And I think it was because of my flair and style, which is to be second guessed maybe, but... uh, you know, I worked at the post office for a short amount of time, and there were some guys, and they were really taking a dig at me, and they would call me Preacher Boy. I did not like that at all. Now, thankfully, none of those names stuck, and none of them were really all that bad. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have been called some things we can't even repeat in the in, here today, but I've been called things, but... I never took those things to heart in in my life, you know? The the fact is, sometimes nicknames stick, don't they? Sometimes you hang on to them, and sometimes they mess with your mind, and they just stick to you. And what I want to say, very loud and clear today, is you are not defined by what you used to be called. You are not defined by what someone yelled at recess. You're not defined by some nickname that somebody's tried to put on you. You're not defined by something negative that your parents said or an ex said about you. You're not defined by that person that hurt you. Who are you? you know for some of you it's not so much what happened it's not so much what someone said about you but it's about what you've done in your life you know maybe it was a dui or maybe it was an affair you had or a failed marriage maybe maybe it was uh, you just failed financially in life or you cheated and got caught or flunked out of school or got fired from a job. You know, maybe it's about some sexual experience that, you know, maybe you're the one that was abused and then became an abuser. Maybe your identity for a time was inmate 41625. I mean, maybe you introduce yourself regularly and say, Hi, my name's so-and-so, and and I'm I'm an alcoholic. You know, maybe the issues, drugs or gambling or pornography or sex. The point is, the issues vary for all of us. But I want to ask you again, because I really want to know. Who are you? Does what happened, what was said, what you did back where, whenever, does it still define you today? I mean, who are you? The the question is so important that we're going to focus on it over the next few weeks. And we're just going to keep saying, who are you? Who are you? Because you need to define that. I realize that our past can kind of distort how how you see and answer that question, how you see yourself. It can even determine who you become. And see, I believe that the evil one wants to steal, kill, and destroy, that he will do everything that he can to steal your identity from you. He'll use guilt to rob you of a great future that God has planned for you. And guilt, it's a strange emotion. Don't you agree? I mean, it's just strange. Guilt has power. And guilt, when it's misused, will kill and destroy things. I mean, guilt's that thing that it kind of kicks in, and in your mind you go, I think I crossed the line here. That wasn't right, was it? And I want you to understand that guilt, when you step across that, when you feel that, it's, it is a good thing. I don't care what culture says. It is a good thing. Because you, if you get to a point in your life where you do not feel guilt... I will tell you, watch out. You, your, your heart will get so cold and callous to it that it is a very, very dangerous place to live without guilt. I, I See, I believe guilt leads us to be honest. I, I believe it will lead us to confession. It'll lead us to forgiveness. It'll lead us to make better decisions in our life. And ultimately, it will lead you to a better life. But unresolved guilt, well, that's a, that's a whole other thing. You know, that, that guilt that you suppress, you know, that you stuff down, that you try and hide. Well, friends, that's destructive. I don't know if you remember uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, his... Uh, the story, the tell-tale heart. And if you remember, the main character in that commits murder. And he's kind of unable to uh, escape the haunting guilt that he has in his life. And so he begins hearing a heartbeat. And he believes it's the person that's buried in the basement. And so he starts hearing that heart all the time. bum-bum, 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 bum-bum. And it gets louder and louder and louder. And he just can't shake it, can't get away from it. And there, there comes a, this point where he's got anxiety because of it. And it, and it kind of grows in him. And, he, and he, pretty soon he's fearing that the neighbors are going to hear the heart. And he can't escape it. And it drives him insane. And ultimately, it becomes very clear that the pounding that he's hearing that's driving him nuts, it's not the heartbeat of the victim, but his own heart. See, I I think that's how unresolved guilt works. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, King David, he had unresolved guilt in his life. The fact is his past I think, was pounding in his heart. He couldn't, couldn't escape it. And so he, ha- he had not dealt with things, honestly. He wasn't dealing with the truth and consequences of, of what he'd done. David had had an affair with a married woman. He tries to cover it up. When that didn't work, he, uh, he has her husband killed, basically. And D- David attempts to cover that guilt up. He stuffs it down but it doesn't work it starts eating him alive you know David writes this about trying to deal with uh, guilt he writes in Psalms he says when I did not confess my sins I was worn out from crying all day long Day and night, you punish me, Lord. My strength was completely drained as moisture is dried up by the summer heat. You know, physically, it's eaten him alive. And then things shift here. He goes, then I confess my sins to you. I did not conceal my wrongdoings. I decided to confess them to you, and you forgave my sins. You know, I I was reading, it is estimated 75% of, of all physical illness is rooted in emotional problems in our lives. You know, when we try and hide guilt, it's actually toxic at that point. It'll, it'll leak into every part of your life, little by little. In other words, I, I believe when we try and hide sin and wrongdoings, the, the fact is you can't have inner peace in your life. Proverbs says this, it says, you will never what? Succeed, succeed in life. You'll never succeed in life if you try and hide your sins. Confess them and give them up, then God will show you mercy. Friends, I want you to understand guilt, guilt's a good thing. Guilt by design It's a warning light that says, you know, things aren't right. Things need to be dealt with, need to be addressed. But guilt in the hands of Satan, well, it's a weapon. It is flat out a weapon. He will use it to destroy you, to destroy your life, destroy your future, and he will kill you slowly over time. You know, when, when guilt is, is left unconfessed, unforgiven, it, it'll morph into something very sinister, and it morphs into a thing called shame. And shame takes things to an entirely different level in life. You know, guilt and shame are, are you know, they're, they're connected, but they are two totally different things. You know, we, we feel guilt for, for something that we've done, all right? Shame's different. You feel shame because of something you've done. You feel shame because of something someone has said or did. And the shift between guilt and shame is when guilt becomes shame, it will change how you see yourself. It will change your identity at some point who are you you know the evil one will capitalize on this thing he he lies scripture says he's the father of lies he doesn't deal in truth in fact scripture calls him a liar a deceiver a destroyer and in fact in revelation it tells us this about about him it says for the one who stood before our God and accused believers. You know, Satan's standing before God. He's accusing them day and night. Here's the good news. He's been thrown out of heaven. You know, when, when he whispers in your ears, and he will, he'll say, you're a loser. You know, you're, you're a, a pervert. You're, you're a drunk. You're You're stupid. You're a tramp. You know, you're, you're a junkie in your life. You know, you are worthless. You're unloved. You are alone in this. Nobody wants to be around you. You always have been and you always will be. Just face the fact. It's who you are. And friends, shame has the power to destroy. And he knows it. God's grace, it is greater. It is greater. You know, shame says, I- I'm defective. God says, you are valuable. You know, shame says, I'm flawed. I'm a mess. But God says, you are priceless in your life. You know, shame believes that the opinions of everybody else, is what matters most. Well, friends, I'll tell you, living in God's grace means that only God's opinion is what matters. You know, shame says, I, I must be perfect to be accepted and loved. Well, God would say, You're not perfect, but you are loved and you are accepted. Shame makes you want to hide. God's grace will set you free. I mean, so you take your, your sin, you take your guilt, you take your past, just like David did, like I've done in my life, like I've known many people that have done it, you know, countless times through the years, and you just get honest with God and get real. I mean, no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how awful it may have been, you let grace, the grace of God, restore you and take away that shame. Friends, you are loved by God. You are a child of God. You know, John, he, writes, he says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse because it reminds me who I am in Jesus Christ. News flash. I'm not perfect. Nothing? <laughs> I'm not. I make mistakes. I sin. And I need to confess those things. But friends, I live in grace. I live in God's grace. Grace is what led Paul to write some of the most amazing words that that I've ever read. And and Paul Paul writes this. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, I live in a constant state of forgiveness. I've forgiven over and over and over and I just live in that state. He says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, who are you? You are loved by God. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You know, look what God says about our our past. He says this in uh, Hebrews 10, 17. He says, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Friends, when, when you start getting honest with God, Not only will you begin to understand who you are, I believe you begin to understand who God is. You begin to understand the the true identity of Jesus Christ. You know, when my uh, grandkids were younger, uh, we... uh, Had a a few toys around the house, and so we started kind of adding adding to that, and I bought a few classics for the kids, like uh, Light Bright and Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and they were a big hit with my grandkids. Well, then I thought, well, that one, well, I'll get something else, and so I introduced them to Etch-a-Sketch, all right? How many of you remember Etch-a-Sketch? Yeah, it was the computer of my day. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I was showing Dason the Etch-A-Sketch, and I was telling him how I had one when I was about his age. And he immediately gets a hold of it, and he goes, Grandpa, where do you turn it on? And I go, go, well, you, you don't. And then he goes, Grandpa, I think the batteries are dead. And I go, there's no batteries in it. And so I told him I said, you know, just turn the knobs. And so he started. He goes, "I think it's broke, grandpa." He goes, "It's just black lines." He goes, "Where's the color at?" And I and I go, "There's no color." <laughs> and I'll never forget. He looks he looks up at me and he goes, "You thought this was fun when you were a kid?" <laughs> so I, I started showing him how you could draw pictures and I drew a couple things and then he got it and he, he started trying to trying to do it and he goes I want to start over and I said well just shake it and so he kind of did one of these and I go he goes it, it didn't work grandpa I go no you got to shake it more and shake it harder so he stood up he he was always our kid that uh, he would just make you laugh and he got he got a hold of it and he started shaking it and I mean he's really doing it. He's like Yeah. You know. And it, it became a dance with him. And pretty soon he's just making mistakes so he can stand up and shake it, you know. And he he just just loving it and uh, he'd uh, do it and make a mistake, he'd go, I gotta dance again, Grandpa and he'd start doing it and he over and over and over. Well, about that time Ethan comes in the room. And uh, Ethan goes, well, I want to do it. I want to do it. And Jason hands it to him. And he goes, have fun. It's a dud. (laughs) And he goes, the only thing fun about it, and this is what what I thought, thought was funny. He goes, the only thing fun about it is if you make a mistake, you can shake it and start all over again. Friends, when you come to God and you admit your mistakes, confess your sins, you shake it. You know, it's a new day, new mercies, new creation. God changes all that. The creator of the universe who created you fearfully and wonderfully, who doesn't want you to be defined by what you did, what you've done, what you're doing. You know, he doesn't want you to be defined by what someone said about you or what happened to you. You know, the God that that loves us wants you to have a fresh start. And friends, you got to shake it sometimes. You know, through the years, I have known people that have checkered past. I've known people that have immersed themselves in sin. You know, that have hurt themselves, hurt other people, hurt people they love. I mean, who am I kidding? I I am that guy. You know, some of the things I've done in my life, I'll always remember it, all right? I'll never shake it, really. But, those things are not who I am. Those things have grown me. Those things allow me to be a better minister to people. Those things change me, but they're not who I am. You know, Paul writes, he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And many many of you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, right? You know that. It's going to be a weird year for us. I mean, number seven's not under center anymore. And all the talk's been about all the quarterbacks and who's going to take over. And I I thought it was interesting because... Uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, he, uh, we acquired him from the Bears. I wasn't thrilled initially. He looked okay last night. But in an interview, they were talking to him. They go, what's the biggest challenge that you face right now? And he said, learning to do things the Steeler way, which I'm doing a little read between the lines here, but I think it implies he's trying to figure things out. You know, that day that he signed with Pittsburgh, the transition took place. He became a stealer. New day, new identity, new way. And now he's kind of in that process. He's learning new signals from a new playbook that he's got. He's learning to relate to new coaches and new teammates. He's in the process of what I would call changing his mind, his mindset to match the reality of who he is now, a Pittsburgh Steeler. And the fact is, it is a process that we go through. Christ followers You've been traded. You're a new creation in Christ. You have been given a new identity. You are new. New person. And here's what happens. Your mind tends to race back to the old stuff. The old past, old thoughts, old patterns, old reactions to things. In fact, you still hear the old crowd and maybe they're booing or jeering or whatever. But your mind has to catch up with your new identity and your new reality. And when that old echoes and it will and it shouts and it says those old names, and they keep keep trying to stick to you, I believe God, through His Holy Spirit, begins to whisper and remind you, that is not who you are. It's not who you are. See, the transition's taken place. A price was paid. Jesus Christ paid it. And He said, you're a new identity. You're a child of God in a new place, a new team, a new playbook, in a new way. Friends, you're a new creation. Now you need a new way of thinking in your life. And that's why the evil one's battling for your mind. That's why it gets in your head. You know, for as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. As a follower of Jesus Christ... You are a new creation, and you've got to start thinking different, new mind. You know, Paul writes this in Romans 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. You know, don't fall into old patterns, old ways of thinking, those old things that, that used to define you, you've got to throw them out. It's a new day. It's a new identity. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, when you start renewing your mind, you do it with God's truth. When you you start spending time with God, spending time in, in God's Word, Friends, it will change everything in your life. You know, Paul, Paul, he writes this, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are things you can do to renew your mind. You know, spending time in God's Word every day. Learning. And one of the prime things that you find out as you're studying, you'll learn what God says about you. Who you are. You know, doing things like that will start changing your, your heart and mind. You know, what we're doing this morning, this kind of thing. Changes hearts and minds. You know, encouraging one another. You know, thanking God and worshiping, allowing the songs and scripture to kind of infiltrate your heart and mind. All that stuff renews your mind. It reminds you who you are. It reminds you who God is. You are a new creation. Friends, God declared it. And what God declares, it's so. But here's the deal. You have to accept it. You have to believe it. And you have to start living in it. And practicing it in your life. Who are you? That's what we're going to talk about. I'd encourage you, don't miss this series. If you know someone that's struggling that way, you know, invite them. I think it's the most important question you can answer. You know, outside of accepting Christ as your Savior, the next step is, who who am I? Who am I? Who am I? We're going to talk about who we are in Christ because it changes everything. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just whisper for anyone that uh, is letting something or someone else or something that happened, what people say. They're letting that define them, Lord, that you would just whisper, scream, yell, whatever you need to do to say that's not who you are. Remind them they are fearfully and wonderfully created. Remind them they are loved by you. God, I thank you. Because there are many times I'm unlovable that you love me anyway. God, I pray that everybody would know that no matter what, that you love them. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds to whatever it is you'd have us here and that we'd just lay all that junk at your feet today. God, I thank you. I'm amazed at your grace and your love. And I pray that everybody would experience that. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. I just ask you to remain seated and uh, allow this song to minister to you. We're going to have prayer teams down front. If you would like prayer, we're going to do it a little bit different this morning. But if you decide to come down, this is a chance to lay all those nicknames and all the junk and all the past. To lay it behind and just when you come down, just go. New day, new creation, pray for me. That's it, that's it. You, I can almost guarantee you, you take that step, you, you'll feel a weight come off of you. And it's kind of a declaration, I'm no longer that, I'm this Lord, I'm yours, I'm yours. Let, let's just allow them to minister to us now.